You are listening to the Mother Lab Podcast. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Mother Lab Podcast. Mother Lab stands for Maternal Outcomes for Translational Health Equity Research. And the Mother Lab is run by Dr. Muta Anukaga, founder and director of the Mother Lab, housed at Tufts University School of Medicine. Dr. Ayo is a Julia Koro Professor of Black Maternal Health and Assistant Dean of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion at Tufts University School of Medicine. Dr. Ayo is also a member of the Racial Inequities in Maternal Health Commission. My name is Iman and I'm a chair of the Community Engagement, Advocacy and Policy Committee. I'm a senior here at Tufts University and I have Amaya Menta here with me. Thank you, Iman. I'm Amaya Menta and I'm the liaison for the Advocacy Committee and, the current, and a current sophomore at Tufts. Today, we are joined by Dr. Dallas Reed, Chief of Genetics and um, OBGYN at the Tufts Medical Center. Dr. Reed has glowing reviews from a patient and, and is an amazing example of how patient-provider interaction should function. Thank you, Dr. Reed, for joining us today. So I was wondering if you could touch upon your journey in medical school and getting involved in women's health and your interests that led you to be here. Sure. Thank you both for inviting me. Um, so my journey started a long time ago. So as you said, I am the division chief of genetics and I'm also a general OBGYN who focuses my practice now in obstetrics. And um, all of that really started when I was a child, to be honest. At some point I said I wanted to be a doctor like all kids do, not all kids, but lots of kids do. And um, when I was in first grade, my mom had a baby with a genetic condition. Um, we did not know that she was going to have a baby with this condition. It was a surprise when he was born prematurely. took a little while for us to figure out what his condition actually was. And it was not a, um, it was a terminal condition. So we knew that he wasn't going to survive very long. And um, every moment with him was um, one that we weren't expecting to get. He actually survived about four months. He was in the hospital for two months and then came home for two months. And then he passed away at home while my sister and I were at school. But that whole experience obviously, you know, shaped what I'm doing today. Um, and when I was in college, I went to Dillard University, which is a historically black college in New Orleans. Um, when I was there, I was applying for a scholarship to study abroad in the UK. It was a, a scholarship called the Luard Scholarship, and it was um, sponsored by this organization called the English Speaking Union. And they paid for three students from historically Black colleges or UNCF schools to go to any school in the UK that they wanted to. Um, and it was a full ride, you paid your you know, tuition and room and board and a little bit of a stipend. And so as a part of the application for the scholarship, I had to say what school I wanted to go to the UK and why. And I knew nothing about the UK at all. So I had to sort of start researching that. And I started to think about this idea of being a doctor and I was interested in genetics, but I didn't want to be like a bench researcher or I didn't think I did. And so I came and sort of stumbled upon this, this idea of being a clinical geneticist but also an obstetrician and sort of the, you know, being the physician that takes care of fetuses and families that have, um, you know, genetic conditions happening in their family. So that's really when I first started learning about this particular path. I was 
thankful enough to win that scholarship, be one of the three people that year that won the scholarship. And I studied at King's College in London, which is a very well-known college. And the reason I picked that college is because Watson and Crick worked there. And, you know, they were, were two of the many people that discovered um, DNA. And so it was just like genetics sort of got me to all of these places. And then um, at Dillard, they also had this program, an early medical school program with a collaboration between uh, several historically black colleges and Boston University School of Medicine. So I also applied for that program and um, was accepted into that program. So my senior year, my the, the summer after my junior year and the summer after my senior year, no, that's wrong. <laughs> The summer after my sophomore year and the summer after my junior year, I was up here in Boston um, taking classes at BU undergrad. And then we had some other classes that were specific to our program. And then my senior year of college, I was actually in Boston taking classes at Boston University School of Medicine and, and the undergrad um, university. And then um, completed that, went back to Dillard to graduate and then came back up here for medical school. Once I was in medical school, I continued to be very interested in this career path of OBGYN and genetics and connected with a maternal fetal medicine specialist at BU who connected me with some genetic counselors and just was sort of helping me to learn a little bit more about this field in general. And um, really just going through medical school, I was pretty sure that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and so I went to residency, I did an OBGYN residency. And after that, I did a fellowship in medical genetics, um, which had nothing really to do with OBGYN GYN at all, which is very interesting to do one thing for four years and then do something completely different for two years. Um, and then I have been here at Tufts since 2016, um, working in both departments, OBGYN and genetics, um, you know, seeing patients, um, across both specialties. It's a really interesting and special job that I have. I'm really the only person in our hospital that has the opportunity to, you know, know a family before they're pregnant, talk to them about, you know, any family history of genetic conditions that could be going on that could impact their pregnancy. I have the opportunity to take care of them during a pregnancy, deliver their baby perhaps, and if there is a genetic issue, see that baby in the hospital and then follow them as an outpatient and then do it all again when they get pregnant <laughs> the next time. So no one else gets to do that. The other geneticist here doesn't get to do that. None of my OBGYN partners get to do that. Um, so that's a really special thing and, and definitely brings it full circle, right? Like I want to be yeah, the person that my family <laughs> was looking for when my little brother was born. And like, I think about that constantly that, um, you know, that I, that, that experience brought me to where I am. And then I, I get to be sort of on the other side of the situation with family, like on a daily basis. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Your journey is so inspiring. And also like, I think that the fact that you're able to be with patients, like every step of the way, even in like the preconception period to like post-delivery, that's just amazing. And I feel like definitely, just as like community health majors, Mina Maya have like realized the importance of interact patient and physician interactions and the importance of the bond and how it, and how it does shape your relationship and the kind of care that you do receive. Right. And then I'll say I even, you know, to commit a little bit more to like what I do clinically every day, 
Um, I had a baby last year and he was born prematurely, like very premature. So he was in the NICU here at Tufts for two and a half months. And um, obviously anytime you're a patient, um, that patient experience influences your, um, the, your perspective as a physician and how you get care going forward. But to just like solidify that entire moment and experience, I went back to work after my maternity leave was over, but before he came home from the hospital and it was my first day back to work, I went to visit him in the NICU to eat oh my, my lunch and see him. And I was in the um, room, the like family room eating my lunch, but I was also pumping. And I was talking to this other mom about, you know, pumping and just like, you know, mom stuff, NICU stuff. And I said, okay, have a nice day. And then I um, went to go meet the medical student that was rotating with us to do a consult. And the consult was for her baby. So I then walked into her baby's space and was like, oh, wow, this is probably very confusing for you because we were just two moms kind of kicking yeah, in. in the oh my gosh. <laughs> and now I'm, you know, a doctor that you're, that the NICU doctors have asked, you know, to come see your baby and there might be a genetic problem with your baby. So it was like this, you know, smacks you in the face that like, okay, sometimes you have to be like a patient and a real person. And then sometimes you have to be a doctor and I don't know, hopefully like, and I, and I am a person that shares a lot. I mean, the, this couple saw me in the NICU on the weekends, right. When I was visiting my own baby. Yeah. So it wasn't, I couldn't like keep it a secret that there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I hope that that was comforting to them to know that like part, I could understand part of their experience. I don't want to say I understood it all. You know, I didn't have a baby diagnosed with a genetic condition. So that's a, a completely different thing, but at least that make you experience and sort of understanding what it's like to be there and to be worried. Um, you know, hopefully that was comforting to them. So just another opportunity for me to like come full circle with, with what I do every day. Yeah, that's truly, truly amazing. Cause I think we always stress the importance that our providers have this empathy and have the idea that they can understand from a different lens. And I think it's just amazing that you actually have this specific personal experience that you can connect with all of your patients with. But do you think that's actually helped you or hurt you in your practice with just interacting with your patients daily? Yeah, I think it has definitely changed my perspective and probably added some more like empathy, I guess, to what I do. Um, not to say that I was completely unempathetic before, but um, it's very easy to not put yourself in people's shoes, even as a physician. And I think that um, just being a parent in general has changed, you know, my perspective on things that that go on with children. Um, but but that NICU experience, especially, I think that. Um, you know, I was lucky my baby was born at a hospital that I knew everybody and I understood what was happening and um, I knew what questions to ask and I could call, I could call the attendings on my cell phone to their cell phone. You know what I mean? Like I had a lot of privileges really to have my baby here, but, um, you know, I think that I'm still able to like put myself in those shoes. I mean, I was I've been back to work now for about five months, five or six months. And um, I cover labor and delivery periodically, obviously. 
And I was on call one weekend and a baby, an early, another premature baby was being born. And it was not the same room that I delivered in, but um, like the circumstances were very similar. And I've been in lots of deliveries since I've come back to work. I've been in the NICU many times since I've come back to work, but something about that experience with the baby, like had the breathing tube and she was very little. So they cover the the little babies with like a plastic bag to keep the warmth inside so that they don't get cold. Like that whole experience of listening to the NICU, like talk about how her breathing was and what was happening with her. You know, I just was like, Ooh, I'm right back in it. Like, you know, like I was in this situation, like, you know, nine months ago. And, um, it was the first time that it had really, you know, like hit me like that. And so reliving your own. (laughs) Yeah. Like from this perspective though, cause I was like, just listening to everything that was going on. And like, when you're delivering, it's like, there's so much happening. It's hard to focus on everything. So, um, yeah, there's definitely moments where it's very, very easy now for me to like be in the shoes of that, those parents. We've had another baby recently who had, was admitted for some issues and, you know, was three months old and not doing well. And, um, I just, the whole time just kept thinking like, what if this was my baby? What if this was my baby? And, and some of the people on the team were like, you know, the parents are asking so many questions. They, every time you go in there, you're in there for like 45 minutes because they're asking so many questions. And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I would be doing the same thing. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. And so I feel like I had so much more patience with them. And I mean, you know, think about them when I'm not at work because I just can't imagine being in their shoes. Um, so that I, I don't think that I would have that re- I mean, I certainly, it's a very sad situation and I certainly would have been, you know, appropriately, um, you know, empathetic about it, but it's just different now. Right. Right. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing. And, um, uh, I guess we were just wondering, um, what skills have you developed to connect with your patients and help them feel heard, just like um, throughout your experiences? And I guess also since you've become a mother. Yeah. So I think this is really in genetics, there's this whole concept of genetic counseling. So genetics physicians usually work with genetic counselors who are uh, people who've gotten a master's degree in genetic counseling. They learn some medical stuff. They learn about genetics and genetic testing, but they also do this like counseling piece of their training. So sort of like social workers and other people that are in like a counseling type field where they think about patients, um, you know, they, they try to connect with patients and understand their motivations for wanting to do things, trying to help them, the patient put themselves in the position of understanding how they may feel if a particular result comes back one way or another. And like that's logical that anybody that's talking to a patient would do that, but that's not things that you learn about in medical school at all. Doctors don't learn that stuff. We learn how to make diagnoses and like deliver that news to patients, um, but not, not trying to get into sort of their like psyche about all of it. So I've learned a lot from my genetic counseling colleagues about how to sort of use more patient friendly language and make sure that, um, informed consent is really a discussion and not like a, this, these are all the bad things that can happen to you sign here kind of a thing, um, which is what we do a lot of times like with surgical consent. Um, so I think that that's like part of, of how things have changed. But then when I think about obstetrics, 
especially being like the only black physician in my practice. I have a lot of black women that come to me in particular, like look on the website, seek me out in particular, are upset when I'm on vacation, want to, you know, not see anybody until I come back from vacation, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I tend to really try, and I do this with everybody, but particularly with these patients, like there's a lot of fears. There's a lot of um, skepticism. There's a lot of distrust in the medical field. And I try to really, instead of like writing them off when they want something, this happens a lot. Like when you're talking about, there's this concept of a birth plan, right? Which is like this set of guidelines that people want to write down and want to apply to their delivery. And in reality, um, that's not how it works. In reality, there are preferences. Sure, we can all have our preferences, but in a medical emergency, there's like this option or that option, and we may not have a lot of time to discuss it and go into the details because your baby's life is on the line or maybe your life is on the line. And so I try really hard for patients that I sense have that distrust to really try to like dig into every single um, maybe misunderstanding or every single um, thing that they see or read or hear that they bring up as a preference that they have or a, um, you know, a belief that they have about pregnancy or labor or delivery or, or all of that. And there's plenty out there, right? I mean, Black women are dying more than any other group of women in childbirth and afterwards. And so when I say you are at increased risk of developing preeclampsia. Preeclampsia can increase your risk of developing hypertension or stroke or seizures. We recommend that you take aspirin starting early in pregnancy until you deliver. And when I get this response that's like, I'm not gonna do that, I really take this extra time to sort of dig into that. Well, why are you not gonna do that? You know you know, you hear all these things about black women dying. This is partly why, and we have something that can help reduce your risk, you know? So it's not a one-time conversation. And that's the nice thing about obstetrics care and why I like it so much is that you, you form relationships with people. You see them, you know, every month, every couple of weeks, every week. Um, so you get time to sort of dig into some of these misconceptions, but um, it's, you definitely have to take the time and you definitely have to listen. and it's still the patient's decision, whatever they want to do at the end of the discussion, it's still their decision. But instead of just saying, Oh, you read something on the internet. I don't, you know, I don't have time to like talk you off of that particular point. You know, I really do try to take the time to continue to have the discussion, continue to, to talk about what their real fears are. Um, so that by the time they get to labor and delivery, they do feel like they have a good sense of how it's gonna go and what their options are and that they feel like empowered to ask questions. Cause I'm not gonna be there at every delivery. Like I can't be there at every delivery. That's not how our, our practice works. Um, so I want them to feel like it's okay. It's okay that I'm not there. It's okay that the person you built this relationship with for the last you know, nine months is not gonna be there. Um, you're going to be okay. 
Right. And I think it's just really important what you like touched upon how we have these systemic issues in our society and we try to change them with just like a one-time sentence or a one-time policy that we think can kind of fix the issue when systemic problems really require systemic change. And it's exactly what you're doing with to kind of getting to the root of the problem and figuring out where this comes from and where this mistrust is placing from. So that's absolutely amazing. And I know just Iman and myself are always looking for POC um, mm-hmm. clinicians as well. So yeah. I know that level of comfort that comes from knowing that you can have someone that understands your issues from kind of a root basis. But I kind of just wanted to cycle back a little bit and touch upon what you were talking about with med school and how they don't really teach you this idea of getting to the psyche of a patient and not really coming from a public health lens. Do you wish that there was changes to the curriculum or um, maybe some edits to be put in in the future? Yeah, I mean, the thing about medical education curriculum is it's always changing. Um, And there have been, you know, I was, I used to teach or run the genetics course at the medical school here. I did that for about four years. Um, And you know, so I was involved in some of the discussions around changing the curriculum. Um, it, it, we did undergo a change while I was one of the course directors from um, it being sort of more lecture-based to the, the material being more interactive with flipped classrooms and small groups and problem-based learning and that type of change. Um, and then I also was there when we formed the Anti-Racism Task Force in 2019 where we um, started to look at the curriculum from that lens, from how are we trying to eliminate, you know, racism or these racist ideas that medicine was based on from our curriculum. And so, you know, working on strategies to do that. Um, So it's always changing. And um, unfortunately, it always feels like important things are getting left out at the same time because it's a lot of stuff to learn in, you know, two years of like classroom time and two years of seeing patients and and clinical time. And it's just a lot to learn. So, you know, some of those concepts I I think are, are discussed in the first two years, but what would really be great is if people were modeling that type of behavior, because you can read it in a textbook. And I had a student say this to me last week, who was with me for OB clinic. She's like, I learned so much today because it's just so different than reading it in a book, like actually like talking to the patients and, and having these conversations and answering their questions and figuring out what they're worried about. It's so different than reading it in a textbook. So it's good that that foundation is there. Um, and I just don't, it probably is. I just don't know if it is, Mm -hmm. um, but it'd be better for it to be modeled like you know, time and time again, every rotation you're on, you're sort of seeing that type of communication with the patient. But one of, you know, some of the problems are that like, we don't have time. I have the luxury of time in in clinical genetics where my appointments are anywhere between an hour to an hour and 20 minutes long. That's my Monday through Friday, my Monday through Thursday. When I go to OB clinic on Friday, I have four patients to see every hour from eight o'clock to five o'clock. Like you don't have time to uh, be your best self because it's very hard to get that sentiment across and build that rapport with the patient in that short amount of time when they have a lot of other things going on. So it's, 
yes, I think it would be great if that was like more, you know, had more penetration in the curriculum. Um, but then you get smacked in the face of the realities of medical medicine, the way that it is now, which even if you're very good at that, you really got, it takes time to really hone those skills to be able to use them in a 20, you know, 20 minute appointment or 15 minute appointment. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, like after like you talking about time and like the necessity to deal with patients on a case by case basis, but also like given like restrictions on time and just like schedules, I definitely understand the de difficulties and can't even imagine how difficult it must be to like try and like give your best care, but also like see as many people as you can to give care to everybody. So definitely a lot of different things to think about. Um, just another question we were wondering was that what are some of the disparities that you see every day in your practice? And I know we talked about like um, having a lot of like changing medical education, but what steps do you think are necessary to address disparities? I mean, you know, Dr. AO is the like queen of answering those questions. And I, you know, I sort of feel like she does a really good job of looking at all of this on a policy level and on like this bigger level and trying to make change across the board. That what I do, I feel like is more on an individual level, right. sort of what we talked about before. And I certainly have colleagues that are very um, focused on advocacy and sort of the same sort of approach that 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 she does, but um, that's not my. Um, area of expertise. I think my area is on those one-to-one -one conversations and getting to know patients. And so the approach that I take to, to addressing those disparities is to understand that like certain patients are coming in, like everybody's not coming in at the same baseline, whether that's their um, medical like knowledge, their own health literacy, whether that's their ability to like get to the appointment on time, whether that's their um, parenting skills or sort of, um, you know, their own um, level of sort of understanding of just sort of how medical care works or how their own body works. So understanding that like not everybody comes in at the same level and you really have to like come down to whatever, come up or come down to whatever level that patient is at in order to, you know, understand what their needs are and get and get them there um, and get it that get them there safely, right? For them and their baby. And this is, I think genetics is also a good example of this because I what I say to people, you know, we have patients that come see us that are physicians or PhDs or, you know, people that have many, many degrees, many terminal degrees. And genetics just continues to be confusing to people. And I just say like, it doesn't matter if you have a third grade education or if you have a PhD, as long as your PhD is not in genetics, what I'm saying, I say to you exactly the same because you're not, it's, it's confusing and it's hard to understand. And so I think just that like approach to how I present complicated genetic topics to patients is how I sort of approach all the care that I give, even in obstetrics and trying to just meet people where they are and 
work through some of the things that they're struggling with and, and some of that distrust and, and giving some grace, right? Like you, you get to know certain patients and you're like, okay, they took like three trains to get here. Sometimes things happen with the train and it's running behind, like as annoying as it is, because now I got to find another place to fit them in, in my schedule. And then that throws off the timing and I'm late to the next appointment. Um, you know, everybody I do feel like feels like they get their time with me. And so if they were frustrated at the beginning, cause I was running behind a little bit, I think they realized, okay, you got your full 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And, um, you know, they, that they feel like they can come back and feel heard. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. You're truly, truly an inspiration. I think just, I know, seriously, like <laughs> truly just like a picture perfect clinician, I would say. It's just yeah. definitely not true. Don't know. <laughs> I have my day. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's just no, it's really like- exemplifying everything that we talk about in the mother lab in theory. So it's just amazing to see it in practice. So we're really, I, really grateful. for. And you. I think what helps that, and this is, you know, for anybody that's thinking of medical school or anything really is it helps if you're doing something you actually like. So when I first started here at TAPS, I was doing obstetrics, genetics, but also gynecology. So annual exams and, you know, STD testing and pap smears and, and surgery. And it was fine, but it wasn't what I really loved to do. And so sometimes those days feel harder because you're just like, ah, I don't want to see another patient with this particular complaint because it's just not where my interest is. Um, so it, it does make it easier to sort of deal, to, to feel, you know, optimistic and cheery and sort of <laughs> feel like you're giving your best if you actually like what you're doing versus doing something where you're like, I just have to do this to pay the bills and <laughs> I'd rather not. And it's amazing that you get the chance to be passionate about what you're doing and it really shows and translates. So again, we just wanted to reiterate how grateful we are for you. Yeah, for thank you us. so much. <laughs> we know you have such a busy schedule, so we really appreciate you coming to speak with us. And we know that it's just an amazing topic to reach a huge audience, which we're very grateful for. So um, again, just wanted to say thank you so much. And this is going to wrap up our sixth episode of the podcast. So to anyone listening, you can find us on all our social medias at The Mother Lab. Thank you.